Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast where three literary matchmakers set you up with your next great read using only dating app questions like, do you consider yourself a romantic? What is your dream Saturday? If tattoos only lasted one year, what would you get? What's your go-to karaoke song? This is Blind Date with a Book. Prepare to fall in love. Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast that introduces you to your next literary meet-cute. I'm Rachel Mans McKenney, one of your hosts, and I'm an author and book reviewer from the Midwest. I'm Aletta Nicolau, and I'm the culture editor of Oprah Daily. I'm Kristen Evans, a book critic and culture writer from Cleveland, Ohio. And we're here today to talk spooky books, just in time for Halloween. Seasonal books with spooky vibes, dealing with the occult, dealing with all kinds of um, sorcery and witchcraft and um, horror themes as well. So we are coming at you with six recommendations today, just in time for Halloween. How's everyone feeling? Do you all like Halloween? Yes, this is my favorite time of year. I'm wearing my uh, ghost earrings as we, as we speak. <laughs> Um, I love the vibe of Halloween, but I don't love the customs of Halloween. I don't love dressing up. Like I would rather. I wish that Halloween was like everybody sitting around and talking about ghost stories, as opposed to sitting around like dressed like a toilet paper roll. Like I don't like the <laughs> costume, but I like this. I like the creep. Actually, right now, I told Kristen this, but while I'm recording this, I'm looking out of a window and I can see my the room behind me is extremely dark. So I can see my reflection in the window and it is spectral. It is straight up spectral and it is so perfect for this episode. So that's the Halloween vibe I like. And I love scary books. So I'm really excited to be sharing some of my faves. This is going to be awesome. So we're planning today on giving you a range of vibes because I will be honest, I like usually enjoy more campy horror. Like there's a silly vibe to it or... It's very obvious that it's not realistic. That's kind of usually what I go for. Um, in the past couple of years, I've gotten more into real, uh, more terrifying horror. But I think all of us have a different tolerance level and we have very different tastes. So I'm excited to talk about books today. We thought we would go in order of least scary vibes to most terrifying, horrific, gory vibes, depending on what you were in the mood for. I think that's good. And I think that all of you who are watching Squid Game know that you can handle more gore than you think you can handle. So don't get freaked out if the book has gore, because even though you can't like close your eyes while you're reading a book, you can read really fast, which is what I do. And <laughs> it's too gory. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to skip this part. So if it's too much, you can always skip that part metaphorically closing your eyes just like going <laughs> getting through it as quickly as possible just, just reach the end of the paragraph faster than you would if you were reading it out loud well um if we want to start with a less terrifying read i had one on the very other end of the spectrum that was a recent release and it's by rivka galchen and it's called everyone knows your mother's a witch and it is a little bit about witchcraft and how it was perceived in the 1600s, but it's mostly about small town drama in this German village. And this is my first book that I've ever read by Galchen. It was hilarious in parts. The beginning of the book is set up in this really wry sense of humor. You're right into the heroine's head who's being accused of witchcraft. And what could be a very tragic story from page one has these just ridiculous outbursts of satire where you're hearing testimony from people who have supposedly seen 
seen her do witchcraft and it's just normal stuff like liking to take care of her cows or making somebody a drink or hanging out with somebody uh, around the town. So I think that she does a really great job of talking about how sometimes the real horror is how we treat one another. And Mm -hmm. it's a really, really funny social satire in some parts um, with some deeper themes as well. So that would be my, my rec if you want to celebrate spooky season, but maybe you're not in for something that has a lot of horror elements to it. I'm so excited to read that book. And it makes a really good audiobook. The narrator who does it is so excellent. And since there are those moments of testimony from different voices, each of those characters, and there's probably like 50, just has such a unique voice. It's just really well done. It's great. That's so cool. I love, I really like Rivka Galchin's writing a lot. The Her novel, Atmospheric Disturbances, is really wonderful. That's a doppelganger story. So it kind of also fits in with our theme of, of spooky or uncanny vibes. But this one has been calling to me on my TBR. So I might pick it up before Halloween gets here. Kristen, yeah. I heard you have another wreck that would not be as spooky as some. I do, I do. So um, my first recommendation is a collection of essays called Night Rooms by Gina Nutt, who is a poet. Um, This collection's out on $2 Radio, which is a small press that I really love. And the pieces in it are a little bit hard to describe. They're very loose and associative about everything from grief to horror films. And because Nut is a poet. She has that poet's attention to language and its connective tissue. I think this is a really inventive way to talk about popular culture, why we're obsessed with immersing ourselves in certain narratives, especially when those narratives are unsettling. And because it's kind of hard to describe, I was just going to quickly read a paragraph or so to give folks an idea of what it sounds like or feels like, because otherwise I think it might be it might be hard to tell if you want yeah, please to do. get into this book. Pretend okay. we're around a campfire. Occasions for a slasher, slumber party, football game, summer camp, sorority, cabin getaway, a too perfect to be real small town often harboring secrets, a dream becomes a nightmare. First times, making love in cars, on basement couches, living room couches, in the woods, holidays and celebrations, Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's Day, birthdays, graduation, prom, events inspiring chainsaw massacres. Summer vacation, a road trip, a cannibal family living in a house of hoarded dusty objects collected from victims. Almost everyone dies. Someone gets away in the end, but not really because the driver in the flag down car is a villain. Or the survivor goes to a hospital and when she stares out the window, all she sees is a sunset and a fence, a man in a suit, tie, and white shirt. The man swings a chainsaw at the horizon. The blade splits the sky from the earth. Oh my wow. gosh, I love wow. that. Oh, yes. Isn't it so good? <laughs> that is so good. I think that you should also become an audiobook narrator in your next life or this life. Oh, so thank you. That that was like a poem, but if a poem were a horror movie. Oh, I'm obsessed yeah. with that. That's so awesome. Yeah. It's really exciting, especially if you love this kind this time of year and you want something that will help you explore it both like through language and theme and and get into heavier topics like grief um, while, while, while getting at the the meat of the kind of surface level stuff that is so enjoyable to the, the pop culture elements. So that's, oh, that's Gina Nutt's Night Rooms and I highly recommend it. I'm oh, sold. So, so great. And you said it's out from $2 Radio, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, Elena, you had our like middle grade um, horror 
recommendations. Can you hit us up with your straight horror recommendations? Yeah. So both of my books we decided were like the bridge novels. They're not extremely gory, um, but they are creepy. So they're more like a vibe and they're two different vibes. So I'm going to go with the one that scared me less first and then the one that scared me most. Um, And also these novels are both older. They were both written before the internet, which are my favorite kind of novels. (laughs) So these are both throwbacks in a different way. So the first book is called My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Du. This is coming from someone who is a big fan of vampire novels. I love everything about vampires, true blood, you know, you name it, I've read it pretty much. But sometimes I feel like I keep reading the same thing, which is why I found My Soul to Keep to be so refreshing. It was first published in 1997. It's not quite a vampire novel, but it has similar themes. So it features immortal beings who lost their humanity about 200 years ago, because spoiler, if you're a human who lives forever, you're going to lose your humanity eventually. And it's also features people who are so invested in their romantic relationships and the idea of love that they're blinded to the reality of the person they're with, such as the case is our protagonist, Jessica. She's a Miami-based journalist with a seemingly perfect life. Her husband, David, is dashing and handsome and a wonderful father to their five-year-old daughter. So what if she doesn't know about his background? (laughs) Well, it turns out that David is actually named Dawit, and he's a member of a 52-person club who 500 years ago in Abyssinia drank the blood of Christ casual and became immortal. And now they think of themselves as superior to humans. And so by starting a family and enmeshing himself amongst, you know, those dirty humans, David is breaking their number one rule. So he's summoned back to modern day Ethiopia, but he'll do whatever it takes to take his wife and his daughter with him. The novel is really creepy. You can hear the 90s thriller melodrama playing in the background. But above all, honestly, it's believable, even if it's about these impossible things, because David is so insidiously charming that you understand why Jessica fell for him and continues to make excuses for him even as people around her start dying. And honestly, you will totally relate to this book if your friend ever dated a guy that you don't like, but you don't really know why the vibe is just off. So if you like this book, you should definitely check out Tanana Rive Du's other books because she's a horror master. But this is the first book of hers that I've read aside from her short story. So I really like this. If you like vampire novels, but you feel like you've read them all before, and that is my soul to keep. Amazing. That sounds so great. I, I want to get into the first question that must be on everybody's mind. Who who was a Twilight fan? I was a huge Twilight fan. I brought Twilight to summer camp, and it sustained me because the girls were mean to me. Oh. So I, I read. I wrote Twilight. I thought Twilight was so romantic. That that part in Twilight has stuck with me more than any other part in the book. I'm not, I'm, I feel like I'm in a safe space so I can admit it. When Edward goes away and the pages are blank, I thought that that was so poetic. And now looking back, I'm like, that's so screwed up that she didn't have a life because her boyfriend left. But when I was like 14 reading that, I was like, wow, like that is so poetic. <laughs> so I like, I always love vampires. I read Twilight also, uh, I, at a certain point, I was just really wanted to know what would happen, and I kind of like tore through them in a huge binge. I, I find the movie, uh, especially the first one, to me, it's a, a kind of comedy, and and I don't mean that in a mean way. Although I guess it com- could come off as mean, but it's so dramatic and so funny that like I I I still enjoy watching it. I'm probably gonna get hate now from the t- like true Twilight fans. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, teenage me was like big into Anne Rice. I, I loved The Witching Hour and I loved Interview with a Vampire and all those books. 
I went to New Orleans this year and I saw Anne Rice's house and I was like, Jealous. oh my God, it's Anne Rice. And she creates this little, like, she like, her husband donated a lot of money to the housing authority or whatever. So he could build her a special writing nook because you're not supposed to be able to alter those houses in that, that district, but they could because she's the legend herself. But I will say about Twilight, I don't know. I, I actually read Midnight Sun when it came out last year and it was like really an emotional experience because I realized how much I had grown as a human being because when I was a teenager reading these books, I loved them. And now I'm older and I'm reading that and I'm like, this is messed up. So I think <laughs> that it's good that I evolved, like that I don't think their relationship is good anymore. <laughs> I love How about that. you, Rachel? Did you like Twilight? I didn't read them as an honest fan. I read the Twilight, the first Twilight book in college in part of a pop culture lit class which was the most fun I've ever had in an English class in my life. And it was also the class that I read my first romance novel in. So it was like a really important class in my life, I'd say. But I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't enjoy Twilight. <laughs> I'm not I didn't enjoy the yeah. romance novel at the time either. So I think that was just kind of my nature of being critical as an English major and a snob at the time. It was the wrong vampire book and the wrong romance novel. But as our podcast shows, there are the right romance novels and the right vampire books for you out there. You just have to read more. Totally. I would plug a, f- a favorite vampire story of mine, Kelly Link's story, The Demon Lover, which is in her collection, Get in Trouble. It is, it's a story about a man who, who plays a vampire on TV and his kind of relationship with his female co-star and in the way of Kelly Link stories, it's kind of in that uncanny realm where you're like, but is he a vampire though? Like, I'm not 100% sure that he's not actually a real demon um, for part of the story. So highly ambiguous and delightful vampire story, as are many Kelly Link stories. Yeah, you should just read, you should just add her books to the whatever spooky season list you listeners are curating because she is the master of like, I don't know, imaginative, speculative horror fiction. And her books Mm -hmm. get under your skin and they haunt you because she doesn't answer all the questions. And that, for me, is the the key to a good horror novel. It doesn't answer all the questions. So you have to keep flipping it around. I like horror books that leave the mystery intact. And she definitely does that really well. What's your second recommendation, Alana? So my second recommendation I love this book, everybody. I tell everybody to read this book, and now you all are everybody. So you don't have to like scary novels to read and enjoy The House Next Door, which was first published in 1978. All you have to do is have been a neighbor at one point in your life. You just have had to live next to somebody and thought about them in the slightest, and you will like this book. So the author, Ann Rivers Siddons, she was known for writing novels set in the South, specifically Georgia, and this is her only horror novel but it plucks and expands on things found in her other works, like the way that gossip spreads in a small community and the way that neighbors watch each other from the window and piece together what must be happening in their lives. This is not your usual haunted house novel, but it is a haunted house novel. The main characters don't live in the creepy house. They live next to it. The main characters are named Colquitt Kennedy. Colquitt, it's an interesting name, and her husband, Walter. They watch as a modern and stylish house is erected on the plot of land next to theirs in an affluent Atlanta suburb. Then they watch as families move in and subsequently have their lives destroyed one after the other. There's scandal, murder, madness, you name it. It's like the house picks up whatever the resident 
Americans consider precious and destroys it. But who would believe Colquitt and Walter? And do they themselves believe what they're seeing? The novel is intelligently written. It's gossipy. It's creepy. But it's not at all gory or graphic, really. And there are no concrete supernatural elements. Like, nothing is named. So everything that happens to the neighbors could definitely just be coincidence. And in that way, the book challenges you to think about your own belief system about the supernatural and forces of evil. If you don't believe me, believe Stephen King. He called The House Next Door one of the finest works of horror in the 20th century. And I cannot get this book out of my head. And I do truly believe that The House Next Door to mine is haunted. So it really, it, this is just totally in my wheelhouse and I think it's a wonderful Halloween book, but also a wonderful year-round book. And that is The House Next Door by Anne River Siddons. Oh, I love that recommendation. Mm. I could see myself like curling up in a bubble bath and with a glass of wine and just digging into that hardcore. Yeah. And it has that like vintagey feel because it's from 1978. So you're like, it's sort of a book that you would pick up like off of your mom's shelves or your grandma's shelf and be like, what's this book, mom? And she's... And I think it was a big deal when it came out. So it has that sort of vintagey feel. Yeah, it, the cover definitely looks like something that I, I personally, if I saw that cover, I wouldn't pick it up. I would assume that it's a different genre of book completely, actually, um, because it's kind of pastel, even though the house, once you know that it's a haunted house, does kind of look menacing there in the background. But like the, all the other colors about it are very soft. Yeah, I don't think they knew how to market it because all of her books before were just like family drama set in the South and this is a gothic horror novel, got Southern Gothic or whatever. And um, they just made it look like all of her other books. So I imagine there were probably a lot of really confused people who were fans of hers and they were like, why are people dying? (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those books also that like publishing folks like, you know, people who work at publishing houses, um, like it'll come up as a favorite in online discussions every once in a while. So it's been on my list for a little while. Elena, I'm glad you I'm glad you picked this one. Well, thank you for letting me ramble about two favorite books. And I'm excited to get to more gory village now. Let's go to the gore town. Yeah, well, (laughs) I think I think mine was probably next on the gore level. Kristen, would you agree? Yes. Okay. So my next pick is definitely one of the books that pushed my horror comfort level to be much higher than I thought I could get. Um, And it is a fantastic piece of fiction. It's called The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. And it was one of the most anticipated books of 2020. And it certainly lived up to its anticipated status. So it's about four men who are bound by a secret that happened to them 10 years ago. They were on an elk hunt in a reservation, uh, in part of the reservation that they were not supposed to be on. And they each walked away from that occasion having done something completely wrong. And you find out throughout the novel what that was. So suddenly 10 years later, each of them is being stalked by something and it's embodied in the form of an elk. And so this book is really creepy in the form of like natural horror. And it's almost an environmental horror novel um, mm-hmm. the, the tension built in the scenes is extremely high and there is gore, but it's really, it feels like a woven story. If you like to read short stories, it almost feels like short stories woven together into this larger narrative. And it just builds the tension throughout to some really epic gory, but also tragic and intense. And yet 
Stephen Graham Jones, if you've read anything of his before, you know he can be just suddenly wry and funny as well. So there's these moments of just satire too that are built in and just where the audience is in on the the twist um, before the the person in the story. So it's just really finely crafted, but yes, definitely true horror in this book. So if you're looking for something environmentally horror horrific, definitely pick up The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Wow, that sounds really creepy. And I also respect anything that recognizes the inherent creepiness of like an animal that has horns coming out of its head. Like what the heck is up with that? Like now I'm like imagining elks coming after me. So, and I and I love things of like people being haunted by something they did in the past because that that's what happens to us. We're haunted by the past. Like I'm constantly thinking of embarrassing things I used to do, but horror novels have such a clever way of like, dealing with the past and and it's almost like cathartic to read books like that even if they're gory I agree and especially I thought that the the unique part here is the shared secret so it's not just Mm -hmm. one person being haunted by their past it's the shared secret of something done you know when you're about 18 years old and then how different you are from age 18 to 28 you know just that shift in who you are as a person and yet your past is still chasing you it's really intense Mm. I'm being flashback to when I started reading that book um, last fall, and I had just moved into the current apartment that I lived in, and I had no furniture. (laughs) So I was in this empty, echoey, dark apartment, waiting months for my furniture to arrive, and I had a single armchair and a single lamp, and I was reading this book, much like Elena is currently now looking at her reflection, like looking at my reflection. It was a good way to um, freak myself out. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah, especially since like one of the major story sections of that is in like a house that's being moved into or like there's moving stuff Mm -hmm. and oh my gosh (laughs) don't read this if you're moving (laughs) it's so funny you say that because i do think that setting the where you read a horror novel matters so much like i always remember the story that my grandpa told me of when he was reading the exorcist and he stays up until like three in the morning so he was reading the exorcist and all of a sudden, I, and this was the part where the girl's head turns around 360 degrees. And as he's reading that, he hears this thumping sound of something coming down the stairs. And it turns out that it was a ball being pushed by the air conditioner. But he says he's never been so afraid in his life. Like he was sure it was the girl's head. And this is a very logical guy. So I think that the setting where you read the horror novel, like it, it absolutely affects the reading experience. So I guess I'm telling you all to read these by candlelight, if possible. <laughs> Just don't catch, don't start on fire, please. We don't need that. We don't need a, <laughs> an issue like that. Kristen, so please, please tell us the book to cap this off. Once we've wet our spooky tastes, what do we need to read? All right. Well, I definitely do not recommend reading this book uh, with all the lights off because it's scary enough by itself. You might want some lights on. My uh, next and final recommendation is a book that I'm actually still reading, so I haven't gotten to the squicky parts yet, although I know that they are coming. Set in Lincoln, Nebraska in the late 1990s, James Han Matson's unsettling novel Reprieve opens with a murder trial. So within the first 50 pages, you know the suspect, the victim, the murder weapon, and the location of the murder, which is a full-contact haunted attraction called Quigley House, where the actors can touch anyone who dares to enter. Contestants put themselves through this sort of gruesome, realistic terror scenario because there's prize money attached. Anyone who makes it through the entire 
escape room slash haunted house without yelling the safe word wins $60,000. What isn't clear at the beginning of the novel is what exactly happened leading up to the murder or why events played out the way that they did. So that makes for a really compelling hook. In addition to witness testimony, evidence tags, and play-by-plays of the night in question, Matson paints a deeply human portrait of each of the people who are involved. There's Kendra, a black teenage horror enthusiast grieving her father's death and lusting after her first boyfriend before her mother uproots the family to Lincoln and she actually winds up working at Quigley House. JD, an exchange student from Thailand studying at the University of Lincoln, Nebraska, who's struggling to fit in. And Leonard, a creepy hotel manager with ties to the owner of Quigley House. So some of these people will be on the team. Some of them will be related to the victim. Um, Some of them work at the house. There's all sorts of connections. Matson expertly weaves their narratives together with the horror tropes from the haunted house and what emerges is an all too realistic novel filled with very specifically American horrors, our cultural obsession with whiteness and our complicity in racist violence. It's not an easy read or so I hear I'm on edge still uh, as I make my way through it, but it is compelling and disturbing. And where, from where I'm sitting right now, you won't want to put it down. I like oh that you're gosh. recommending this before things have gotten like so gnarly that you can't sleep at night because it's yeah. you have like a wide-eyed optimism of someone who doesn't know how bad it's going to get. But I, I think that's a good place to recommend the book. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I also, because I knew I wanted to talk about it on this episode, I'm like skimming through, like structurally it's put together in a pretty interesting way. You know, you get all those witness testimony transcripts. There's like the evidence tag of the murder weapon, which just isolated on itself in its own chapter is kind of creepy. Um, And then there's like the descriptions of each room as that team makes its way through the house. And you already know like which room the murder takes place in. So there's a lot of like, I can already feel just like looking at the the structure of it, like where there's going to be that that tension. Um, But I definitely believe the people I know who've recommended this enthusiastically saying like, just hold on to your hats. It's going to get a little ugly in there. Oh my gosh. Fortify myself before I go into this one. That sounds great though. Yeah, it sounds really good. And and I never ever do those haunted house things because they creep me out too much. And so the idea of a horror novel being set there is very affirming to me. It means I was right that these are <laughs> these are clearly designed to have murders take place in them and be covered up. I know, a perfect place for to cover up a murder. I actually did go on one of these haunted houses like in college, and one of my friends um, got a panic attack at the very end, so we're all like rushing him out, where there's, of course, like the guy with the chainsaw who's all too thrilled to like chase after everyone. (laughs) And so there's like a showdown uh, with the the chainsaw man to be like, can you, we are legitimately having a, a medical. Situation. Oh my god! Can you like please back off with that chainsaw, sir? Like I don't. We are asking you respectfully. No, but I I don't think that he sees that as valid. Like this is a man. Who no, does he definitely this. did not. No, he doesn't. He this is his life. Like who are these people who decide to become the chainsaw man? I mean, what like itch are they scratching by doing this? I have to believe. Like they could be doing anything other. Like they could be doing something else, but they want to be there. So it's very interesting psychological profile we're dealing with. And I'm interested to hear where it goes in the book, because now the more I think about it, the more interested I am. I want the haunted house romance. Give me the meat cute. That's Ooh, what I want. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there I think is... that's just that episode of New, New Girl <laughs> where, she, where she's uh, a haunted house employee and there's multiple romantic things happening in that haunted house. <laughs> Great episode. Meet me by the murder site. Meet me by the murder site <laughs> when, the, when the moon comes up. No, there, there's a sweet book by – it's a graphic novel by Rainbow Rowell. The, um, oh, Pumpkinheads. Yeah. yeah, Pumpkinheads. And it's like a sweet romance novel, like graphic novel that takes place – in a pumpkin fest. So it's not a horror novel, but I think there is like, you know, a fall vibe. So if you're looking for that, that, that could be a good rom-com to read around this time of year. You got a bonus rec in there. I appreciate, I appreciate the hustle, Alana. Rachel, would you like <laughs> your bonus rec? Because Kristen also did a bonus rec. So is there another yes, book that you wanted? I'll do a bonus rec. And mine's mostly because the form is so fun as well. Um, I read it this week. It was Grady Hendrick's Horror Store. Um, which you should pick oh, up. And, yeah. I mean, it's just a fun, it's a fun one. There's nothing more terrifying than anything else. I'd say it's mid-grade. Um, it's more of the ghost thing rather than the axe murderer thing, but it's set in basically an Ikea um, between the hours of 12 p.m. and 2 a.m. and uh, sort of the secrets of this Ikea and what happens to everybody inside. But the fun part about it is that the design of the book is such that it looks like you're looking through an Ikea catalog and like mm-hmm. each chapter heading has a piece of fake furniture. And then as the book gets more horror filled, the furniture becomes more horrific as well, like torture mm-hmm. devices. So it's it's very clever. It's fun to even just pick up and look through. But I enjoyed that that this past week. Yeah, he's so imaginative. Sorry, I started reading the Final Girls support group. I think that's what it's called. And it's like about a bunch of girls who are the final girls, you know, the last people to survive like slasher movies and they have a support group. That concept alone is so genius that like, I just want to hug the man. I mean, it's so funny, like, and it's so wise and poignant. So I'm not done with it, but I love this guy's mind. Like what a good, what a good bonus recommendation, Rachel. All right. So there's your spooky season recommendations from us here at Blind Dick with a book. And we will be back in your feed soon with more regular episodes. Thanks for listening to Blind Date with a Book. Our show is produced and co-hosted by Kristen Evans, Rachel Mance McKenney, and Elena Nicolau. Our showrunner is Rachel Mance McKenney, and our sound editor is Elena Nicolau. Kristen Evans handles web design and newsletter production. Our theme music was written by Alex Bozzi, and our logo was designed by Chelsea Hill. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review Blind Date with a Book on Apple Podcasts. Ratings make it even easier for other listeners to find us and join the fun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest and more books to recommend. Until then, we hope you're falling for the next book on your TBR pile, whatever it might be.